Well, why am I here? this is part of uh, the, the process of ordination with uh, Life Church, which is something that's uh, relatively new since the bylaws were drawn up. As I'm seeking ordination, we need to have a process for that. So I uh, talked with the elders and said, well, here's what we'd like you to do. Come visit with us, talk with us, share your, your story, your testimony. Why are you, you seeking to be ordained. And then from that point, uh, we want the congregation involved. We'd like you to get up in front of the congregation and do the same thing. Share your story, your testimony, and uh, why you're seeking ordination. And so that's what this is, really, just to come before you. The church is part of this process. So I appreciate you being a part of uh, the process with me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. It's when they said, do your testimony and then talk about your call and why you're seeking ordination. It's not like two stories, like here's part one, here's part two. This is one big story. Uh, My faith walk, my call, it's all one. So it's not two separate little things I'll present to you. So a testimony is the story, your story, your, 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 your witness. So I'm going to be talking a lot about myself, which, which I don't necessarily like doing, but that's part of the testimony. So I'll be talking about me. I'm going to be using the words uh, I, mine. So that's just to put that in front of you. You're going to be hearing about me today. And there's a, a rule, a soft rule in preaching, maybe more of a principle Tell personal stories because it helps you relate uh, with your audience. Tell those personal stories, but never be the hero of your own story. Be humble, be, have humility. So before I even get started, here is my disclaimer. I'm telling lots of stories, but I am not the hero of my story. God is the hero of my story. Jesus Christ is the hero of my story. The Holy Spirit is the hero. So all glory, all worship to God. This is not about me. This is what God has done through me. I've been a willing participant. So that's my, to get that out of the way. So my name is Greg. I've lived here in Fergus Falls for 24 years. I belong to this church for 14 years. I'm married to Bethany. Next month, we will celebrate our fifth wedding anniversary. Bethany's working in the coffee booth. This, oh, did she sneak in? Uh, I'm the Stephen ministry leader here at the church. So about me, I'm a longtime radio announcer, manager. I started in the business uh, back in 1992. I semi-retired in 2014. And for the last five years, I've been a staff hospital chaplain with Sanford Health in Fargo. And uh, just uh, this winter, I was board certified with the Spiritual Care Association. I have a master's degree in ministry leadership. I hope to complete a Master of Divinity degree next year. This is with University of Northwestern St. Paul. And I earned a diploma in ministerial studies from Global University's Berean School of the Bible. And I've been a licensed minister since 2018. I also hold degrees in health psychology and radio and television broadcasting. I'm a learner. (laughs) We're always learning, right? I've, I've even learned that at dinner, you put your drink on the placemat, not on the tablecloth because it might have just come out of the dryer. So there's always, always things we can learn. So that's the present. I want to take you to the past and then bring us back to uh, where we're at now, maybe get a glimpse of the future. I was raised in a godly family. I went to uh, 1970s Lutheran Church, Green Hymnal Lutherans. It was Red Hymnal, then it was Green Hymnal with the ELCA, if anybody's familiar with Uh, those Lutheran churches. My parents were from solid Christian homes. 
And they modeled uh, a healthy marriage, healthy household. They provided well. They loved well. Showed uh, much love. I went to Sunday school. I enjoyed it. Vacation Bible school. I had a youth Bible. I had the, the teenage devotion books that they uh, published. Knew all the Bible stories, all the important Bible characters. And Christianity was a, was a part of my life. It was a part of my life. It was not my life. It had no over, overreaching emphasis. It was a part it's part of my life. Sunday or religion was church all distilled down to Sunday mornings. Put on your church clothes, go to church, and then grace before dinner. And it was an external, external thing. You'd say, well, I believe in God. I go to church. But that, that was it. There was nothing uh, internal about it, very external. And then as I got older... I found church to be quite boring. Sermons were dull. It was serious. The, the pastor was very stoic, also serious. If you ever talked to the pastor, it was like coming before the Pope. It was just so serious and uh, intimidating. How about that? Almost intimidating. So I'd sit and doodle during the services. You know, they had the little golf pencils where you could write, write on the communion things. And I just daydream, pretend to be interested. I knew that faith was important because it was very important to my parents. And I believed in the gospel. I believed in Jesus all, all intellectually. But again, there was this distance. There was this disconnect with, okay, but what, what's the big deal? You know, heaven, that's good. But as far as daily living and what all that looked like, I was just unable to personalize that. So church was very dutiful. You go to church, checking the boxes, doing what you needed to do. In the middle of my grade school years, uh, my father's job moved the family to New York. And we continued the church process, went to church. I continued to be bored. Um, that's just, uh, just the way life took us. I was even confirmed. I went through that whole process, and I nailed it. I said all the right things, did all the right things, and I, I believed it, but it was just another threshold to cross, just another thing that was expected that uh, I would do. Now, by my high school years, my family uh, began to experience some dysfunction, uh, nothing, nothing awful, we just were not communicating. And I don't know if it was the time, you know, the 80s, that uh, I don't know what it was, but we just did not communicate well. It was like this apathy that kind of settled on the family. Nobody knew what to do. So it was easier just to, just to pretend nothing was going on, just ignore it. So there was this mood, this apathetic uh, mood that was happening in the family. And as a coping mechanism, I developed a rebellious attitude. And that might have been my age. You know, it's what teen teenagers do. I just began to rebel. And it was sort of a response to what I thought, what I felt was a controlling home life, controlling parents. But, uh, you know, looking back, I realized I had it much better than many other kids, many other people that I knew, my parents weren't controlling, they were not over-the-top disciplinarians, but uh, I just felt that I needed distance and, and freedom. So I rebelled against normal parenting and normal boundaries and normal nurturing. I just kind of created my own uh, response, my own escape for that. So after I graduated high school, church because of the apathy in our family, we were getting a little older. Church sort of became this low-priority thing that wasn't emphasized anymore. It was more optional. And uh, I decided, yeah, I, I don't think I need to, need to be going to church. I just wanted to do my own thing. wanted to uh, get out from under the control of my parents, or what I perceived to be control. I didn't want anyone telling me what to do. So I decided to join the army. 
I understood the irony too, but I was talking with a recruiter for a long time and it almost, it almost happened. That didn't pan out. So instead of college, I started working construction and uh, just grabbing some, some jobs. I really didn't have a plan. And about this time, my family moved back to Minnesota and let me, I somehow convinced them, let me stay in New York by myself. I can do, do my own thing, be independent. And I think over the course of, of three years, I've counted it up over, over the, the years and gone back and looked, but I think I lived in about 10 different places, different apartments, crashing with whatever friends would let me crash. I was in my own car for a time. I worked over a dozen jobs for everything possible. I, uh, I worked in, in bars. I did some DJing in nightclubs. I sold uh, fancy cookware, like a multi-level kind of a thing. Door-to-door salesman did that. I did uh, auto body work. I did security. For a very short time, I, I worked for uh, a company, a bio-cleaning company that uh, cleaned up crime scenes. That, that's a job. It's a thing. Um, that didn't uh, pan out too well. But crashing with friends, jumping from job to job. About every three months, it seemed like I would start over. I'd repeat the process. New place to crash, new job. This time it's going to work out. I'd repeat the process. Scrimping, scamming, surviving. And uh, I was poor, like, like for real poor. Have, have you ever been so poor that you've had sleep for dinner? Amen. It, it's, it's a thing. I, I had nothing. So I became a, a bit of a thief. I would shoplift. I was a, a shoplifter. I would steal from friends uh, who would let me crash with them. This, this selfish, it was, I don't know if it was a survival instinct that led to that behavior or if that behavior led to this, this weird, independent, me against the world kind of mentality. I was, it was like uh, survival mode. And friendships became transactional. What could I get out of this person? How could I use them And uh, before they uh, got tired of me? I really, I really didn't care about anyone. I was just trying to get my needs met and survive. And since I was in New York and my family was in Minnesota, we had this geographical distance, uh, which was fine for me because I just wanted to be doing my own thing apart from my family, but uh, you have emotional distance that begins uh, in a dynamic like that too. Around this time, all this was happening, uh, there were lots of tragedies in my, in my friend group, in my community. Car accident deaths, uh, some suicide, uh, some folks lost their parents, just lots of, lots of stuff that my 19-year-old uh, mind was, was not prepared to handle. I did not know how to support my friends who were grieving. I did not know how to deal with my own grief. Funer to ask me to go to a funeral and support someone was the worst experience that, that I could imagine, or just being around friends who were upset. A uh, very good buddy of mine, his, uh, his girlfriend died. And not even six months later, his father died. And this, is, this was my best friend uh, at the time, and I did not know how to cope, how to be there for him, what to do, so the distance. I just kept pulling myself, protecting myself uh, away from that, just could not handle uh, the, these grief dynamics. So I, I just appear, disappeared. I couldn't support anyone. I would just uh, build walls, start the bricks, start the bricks in the wall of uh, keeping people out, protecting me, and that became a theme uh, as, as my life would continue. The walls just started going up. And of course, ch church wasn't even part of this uh, at the time, so I really couldn't rely on faith or a church community or anything like that. And in the late 80s, there was another couple of components that helped really kind of cement that, that wedge between me and, and the church. And, and by the church, I mean religion, church, God, um, there were a lot of high-profile uh, 
televangelist scandals in the late 80s. Uh, Jim and Tammy Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, Robert Tilton. If you remember those, they were all over the news. And seeing this on the news sort of helped my cynical attitude about the church. You see, all a bunch of hypocrites. They're just after your money. Liars, thieves, says the thief. And it became a very convenient way to keep separated from the church. It was a very public, see? See the TV? See what's going on with these guys? And, and I also think on some level, too, in, in the mid to late 80s, if you remember the TV show Saturday Night Live, Dana Carvey did a, a popular skit called The Church Lady. And it, and it poked fun at... Uh, the, the lady in church who would keep tabs on everybody, keep track of who was coming to church, blame everything on, on Satan. And through that sarcastic, sardonic humor, that I really latched onto that as a way to keep pushing church. And by effect, God, I just really used all of that to influence me. Like, I don't need anything to do with church. I just, uh, I'm fine without it. I guess I can respect you if that's your thing, but for me, not going to be my, uh, not going to be what I'm doing. No involvement. So finally, the money ran out after uh, lots of conversations, long distance with uh, my parents. The, the teenager and parents' favorite conversation, what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to make money? Worst, worst phone calls I think I could have had with my parents. I don't know if that's what it's like with your teenagers when you talk with them, but those were not good phone calls. Finally, I gave up. I threw in the towel and said, I'm out of money. I'm out of resilience. I moved back to Minnesota, and our relationship as a family did warm up uh, a little bit. I decided to get my life figured out that I needed to go to school. And I enrolled in radio college. I, I, did, I did very well. I realized this could be a career. So my family relocated from Minneapolis to Fargo, and I joined them, and I started working uh, in, Detroit, in the Detroit Lakes radio market. And eventually uh, became, came to work in uh, Fargo. My mother, shortly after that, uh, she died from cancer. It was 20 months from diagnosis to her death. And during that experience, I felt, a, I think I felt a need to get back to the Lord. So I was, I was praying for the Lord to save her. That was back to my transactional. Like, God, if, if you save my mother, I'll get straight with you again. And so that was, that was my, kind of my deal. That did not happen. And... You know, when I think about uh, my testimony and my story, it's sort of like ice melting. And we, we know about that here in, in this part of the country, how, how ice can be so stubborn. It melts very slowly, but uh, it does eventually melt. And I always have that image when I think of this time, that, that there was the Holy Spirit, God was doing some melting of my heart or whatever, but there was still under uh, a lot of ice, a lot of ice to go. What did happen during this time was a strong, uh, an observation of how strong my family's faith was. My sister had become a born-again believer uh, with the assemblies of God, and it radically changed her life. So I'm observing this from the outside and just seeing how it sustained her and, and gave her this strength, this, this vitality that I could not access. And I didn't really understand it. I admired it and I respected it, but I could not connect with that. And, and I became to think, well, God must not love me like that because uh, I don't see how that could ever happen for me. So that confusion then turned into anger. And I got angry uh, with God. Has anyone been angry with God? Have you ever raised your fist and shouted at God? I, I let him have it. I, I let him have it. And 
this just kept adding to all my assumptions and worldview that uh, Christianity was no good, would always find ways to uh, see how Christians were hypocritical, judgmental. Um, I just transform everyone, anyone related with the church to be that person. Like I just built this wall against uh, religion. And I, I wrestled with this right up until last night and, uh, and told Nicholas, I said, you know, I have a picture from around this time that uh, maybe I can show you. So I'm going to give you some free giggles. Here, on me, this is a picture. If you can uh, put that up. This is me in 90. Oh, there it is. Dave's not here, man. Okay, you know, you can take it down. Yeah. <laughs> so young guys, do it while you can. Because it doesn't last long. I'm, I'm here to tell you. So in 2000, uh, a job opportunity appeared here in uh, Fergus Falls for the operations manager of the group of radio stations. And I thought, uh, I got a call uh, from the GM who knew me from our working together in Fargo. And I thought, well, that would be a big step up and a, and a nice change. And I was talking with some of the fellows I knew in Fargo. And they said, well, are you going to cut your hair before you go to a big job interview like that. I said, I'm not cutting my hair. I worked a long time to grow this flowing mane of hair. It's who I am. Those are my, my rock radio days. I said, I'm not cutting my hair just for a job interview. So I cut my hair and I came to Fergus Falls and did the interview, got the job, and so the move was on. And I bought a house here in town. I decided I was just going to devote myself entirely to my career. I was going to live a comfortable life, keep my head down, keep people at arm's distance. And through my work, just the nature of the work, I came to know hundreds of people in this community, lots of business people. I never formed any strong uh, relationships, any strong friendships. I had got along great with my coworkers and had a, a very small inner circle uh, social friends. I had some good friends who lived in different cities, but my day-to-day -day was a pretty isolated existence. It was work and home, and I just kept people at length. I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to hear people's problems because if something happened to them, that would be uncomfortable for me. What, what a selfish, isolated way to uh, live like that. And being antisocial, very inward living, I never had relationships. Do some dating, but uh, could never form any bonds or relationships. And the, the first year I had my house, it was a time of year where you're out working in your yard, and in the house behind mine, there was a very sweet old lady whose uh, house was behind mine. So it looked down onto my yard and good view of my house. And I was out talking to her and introduced myself. I said, yeah, I live alone. I'm a bachelor. And uh, she says, oh, I know. And, and I, said, I said, how'd you know I, I wasn't married? How'd you know I was a bachelor? And she says, because if a woman lived in that house, those curtains and shades would not be drawn all the time. And I thought, ouch. So after that, I began to do the, do the curtains and look out. I like sunshine. But it, it must have, then, it was somehow, I guess, I just gave that, uh, gave that attitude. But whenever I did find myself in what could be a relationship, I'd torpedo that. And just the selfishness and apathy, I was, I was not uh, a good person. I was nice, I was polite and nice, but nice is different than good. Do you know that? So in 2006, this building uh, was brand new, and we had um, an advertising, a marketing thing we did at the radio station for new businesses, that whenever a new business came to town, we would help promote it, 
and the contractors who worked on the business would help pay for the advertising. So we'd go there for a couple hours and do a, do a live remote, talk about the new business and the people who worked there. So uh, my card came up, and it, I was chosen to do this interview here at uh, the church. So I came here. It was during the day, and I visited with uh, the pastors here at the time, got the tour of, of the church, and I was not really familiar with uh, this kind of church. I was familiar with old-school, mid-century Lutheran churches with pews and uh, musty 1970s carpet, and then here was this brand-new dynamic building. I thought, well, that, that's kind of cool. And the pastors were not dressed like pastors. They, they were dressed casually and were smiling and happy to see me. So we talked about the church, and when it was done, I was invited to hang out and just talk for a little bit. And I thought, here it comes. They're going to preach. They're going to judge me. They're going to do whatever it is they do to find out if I'm going to heaven or hell. And, and uh, armor, a walls, instantly went up, and I was ready. And all they wanted to do was just talk and, and hear my story. And that's all I did was just talk, 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 talk. And it never came, that, that sales pitch. I was waiting for the sales pitch. And that left such an impression on I me. Mean, I was like, whoa, those, those were like actual real guys. Those were like real people. Hmm. So that planted this little seed in me, and I, I began to have this new interest because I was so curious about why it didn't play out like I, like I thought it would. Why wasn't I being judged? Why, what was going on there? So I was invited to Alpha not long after that. Alpha is the, this introductory program to Christianity, and I found some good excuse to tell them I, I just wasn't interested. That just, just wasn't my thing. What I did do, though, is I found the website for this church, and the sermons were, were posted on the website. So I thought, well, I'll click and listen to one of the sermons. And it was unlike any sermon that I had ever grown up with. It was listenable. It was interesting. I was hearing about Bible verses and principles. And then, okay, so what does that mean? How do I do, what should my life look like if I believe that, if I want to follow that? So it was, it was practical and it was inspiring and it was engaging. And so I, what I would do... Once a week, I would uh, drive up to Perm to uh, site visit one of our radio stations. So I would burn, back when you could burn CDs, I would put the sermons on disc, and I'd listen to those while I was driving. So for two years, I was listening to sermons every week, driving and thinking about it and sort of learning and connecting. So I was, was this very long-distance interest in, in this church, and it, and what a time that was. I got to say, I, my, any cynic, you know, skepticism melted away, and I became very interested in, in hearing more, in learning more. During this time, I had, well, I had uh, lots of issues with my back. I had a lot of surgeries, got a lot of hardware in my back, and that means lots of painkillers. And I was eating those like candy. Uh, to the point where I was abusing them. And this is before the opiate, you know, the, the opio opioid crisis, and I don't know how much really was known about how serious it was, but I was on pills uh, constantly, started to get depressed. So the doctor said, here's some antidepressants. So I started taking those. I became anxious about that. Oh, you need some anti-anxiety meds. And for the stretch of about a year, it was crazy, the different meds that I was taking, trying this, trying that, and your mind gets really muddled uh, and, and confused, and I got into all kinds of depression and uh, the anxiety, very, de very depressed, long, long, long bouts of chronic bad depression. Have you ever been so depressed that you have sleep for dinner? It, like a cloud, like being underwater, like the, the depressed where 
The only thing I would have to do for the day is do a load of laundry. And somehow, over the course of the day, it doesn't get done. I get to six at night. Yeah, I don't think we're doing laundry tonight. The struggle is real because I've been there. I've been deep, deep, deep in that hole. More walls going up along this time too. Keeping people out, keeping me safe. Self-pity, apathy, guilt over how I treated people. And the thing with walls, when when you build walls high enough around you and behind you, you close yourself in. Like, like an igloo, there's no escape, like a trapped kind of a thing. And I, and I really got to a point of rock bottom, and I, I had this moment. I had, the, I, I had been contemplating suicide because I had been depressed so long, and I, I can't do this, I'm done with this. And, and by God's grace, I wrestled and wrestled with that and finally had this moment where I, I just reached out to God, not in anger, but desperation. I just said, God, I need you. There is nothing left except for me to turn to you, Lord. What do we got to do? What do we got to do to lift me out of this, these, uh, this, this headspace, this pain I'm feeling? And I felt just enormous peace, just enormous peace, like... Like, dra- I think, like draining the oil out of the oil pan of your car. The sludge comes out then the oil. And then it just drains and I could just feel just complete peace. And, and uh, it was weird. It was weird. And, and I honestly, those few days, I really can't piece together much of a narrative, only that I felt better. I felt lighter. Uh, all that burden, everything had been gone and then I had this energy. And then I started realizing, you know, not a lot has changed here. I don't feel like I want to end my life. I'm not, uh, you know, paralyzed by depression, but I'm still anxious about things. You know, I, I was thinking, okay, once you're saved, once, once you're following God, life is going to be perfect. That all of those situations... Uh, would change. And I, I, I remember giving it a name. I called it post-salvation anxiety. The other one I had was uncomfortable feelings following divine assistance. Oofta. I had to label. I was like, well, what is going on with this? I, I know I'm saved, but I'm still on edge. This is not, everything isn't perfect anymore. And I thought, I need to go to church. I need to go to church. That's what it is. And there was no question about where I would go. I was going to come here because this was my church. It's my, my secret church. So uh, in 2010, and I had a couple of false starts too, but I just chickened out in my car, warming up in the driveway, chickened out. Finally said, I need to go to church. I need, I need to see what's going on, what is all about this. So 2010, I uh, came to church. I've Snuck in, ducked past the greeter. I thought, I'm just going to go sit in the back. Take it easy. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anybody to know me. I just want to see what's going on, see what's happening with this. So I'm on my way uh, to come into the church, and uh, Joyce Monk comes up and shakes my hand. Hello. Who, who, who are you? What's your name? Welcome. David, come here. This is my husband. And I thought, ah, I don't want to meet anybody. I don't want to die. I just want to go into church. I don't want to talk. But the people were interested in, in talking to me and, and smiling and very courteous and grateful. And the, the, no one's judging me. I mean, I had built this whole thing up like uh, it was going to be awful. So I'm sitting in church, this very first time at church. And, and what's interesting ab- about that with... Uh, Joyce being the first one to come up and talk to me. Today, as I came into the church building, cold morning, I came in alone because Bethany was working at the coffee. And I was thinking back to 14 years ago. That I was like, man, remember that coming in? Cold. I'd been thinking about this story. I'm in the coat room putting, putting away my, my coat. And a gentleman walks up to me and, and says, good morning. I said, good morning. He goes, are you a believer? 
And I said, I am. And he says, we're brothers in Christ. And shakes my hand. Dan, I don't know where, where Dan is. And I thought, man, that's a Holy Spirit thing for me. Just to, just to remind me of that. But what a church where you can come in like that and be, and be welcomed with a handshake and a smile and, and to talk like that. I'd never, I'd never met Dan before. And here was someone 14 years later being in an environment like this. And that very first Sunday, I think it was a youth weekend uh, or something happening with youth because uh, a, a young, fresh-faced Nicholas Preston was preaching on that Sunday. I think connected with the youth. So it was kind of a youth, kind of a cool, cool Sunday. And so Nicholas preached that morning. And I, I don't remember a whole lot about the content of, of uh, his sermon. But the whole, the whole time during the service, I was like, I am home. Just everything was hitting me like a hammer. Like this, oh, like oasis coming out of the desert. I just felt so welcomed, loved, everything I was hearing, I was like, this is what I was waiting for, a church like this. And one of the scriptures uh, Nicholas used in a sermon was uh, Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And that part about do not lean on your own understanding. And I thought, that's what I've been doing for 20 years, is trying to understand this and figure it out on my own. And I need to flip that and, and trust God. And I remember part of the sermon, Nicholas, he actually said, are, are you willing to take God's hand and let him help you? And I, I almost jumped out of my seat. I was like, yes. This is what I've been waiting for. And I just dove into uh, attending this church and meeting the people, talking to people. And, you know, prayer was a, was a big part of that too. It just blew open what I thought church could be and what church could be like. And I was talking to this fellow, a uh, big gentle farmer named John, and I was kind of telling my, my story. And... Uh, I was talking about my uh, post-salvation anxiety and trusting the Lord and working through that. And he said, well, can I, can I pray for you? I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. And I started walking away. And he, oh, you mean now, right here? This was like either before or after the service. I was like, that's a thing? It doesn't have to be in church? Yeah, I'll pray for you right here. Lay his hand on my shoulder and prayed for me. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Just whatever problem you got going on, you could just go to people and pray. I, that, that was so foreign to me. And then I found out about prayer night on Sundays. You mean you come back at night and it's just prayer? Well, we do some worship songs and then, then we pray like for an hour. Yeah, oh, it's cool. Think of, think of a, a topic you know, to pray on, and then there's an open microphone, and people want to go up and pray on the microphone or share, tell you, you could do that too. Like, do you, you sit, you stand? Well, you could sit or stand, walk around. It's whatever, it's whatever you want to do. It's like, really? That's a, th I, really? Okay. And so I went, and I was like, this is really cool. Just corporate people praying. And maybe the issue was, uh, you know, for the youth in our community. Or let, let's pray uh, over sickness in the church body or, or whatever. It didn't matter. It just sometimes people would bring things up to pray or come up and give a, give a testimony. And I remember one of those first early uh, prayer nights where Lemke came up, took the microphone, and he shared this story about uh, how he had been at home and the Holy Spirit, or someone put the name of somebody, I, I can't remember specifically, uh, Roy, what it was about, but someone was, the name of someone was put on your heart, and you decided the next day or so, to call him or go greet him or visit him, and it turned out to be a very important uh, or good reason to, to go visit and pray, and I thought, wow, 
that's a thing? Like the Holy Spirit will like nudge you? <laughs> Tell you that? This was just wide, blowing this whole thing wide open for me. And I was just so anxious to be here at church and to be at those prayer nights to just more, 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 more. We have uh, two golden retrievers, and when we feed them in our kitchen, we they each have two separate bowls, and they'll each eat out of the bowls. Then they get up like, like they planned it, and then they'll switch spots, and then they'll check just to make sure nobody missed anything. Just looking, looking for that one piece, or if you give them treats, snacks, you know, they'll feed, they'll take it as long as you're giving it, and then when you don't have any more, they hang around. And... What's up? Got any more? Come on, you got any more? That was me, more. What, what's next? What's next? What do we got? I just was, was diving in. I finally was able to get through Alpha, join Alpha and go through that. And I think what Alpha did is change this whole idea of I wanted God, it was going to be a transactional thing. God changed my situation. I wanted God to change what was going on, change my situation. And I discovered uh, it's not about that. It's God changed me. God changed me. And everything else comes out of that. So, so it was less about this self-centeredness into God centeredness and stepping into that whole other thing and that's I think that's what Alpha did and started going to a small group that Dave Fournier led it was at uh, Fisher's house and it was based on E.W. Kenyon's the Bible in light of our redemption and through this class started learning about uh, how the Bible is connected to everything everything in our Christian life most importantly, our redemption, the redemptive work of Christ, it's through every page of Scripture. And I'd never understood that. I thought the Bible was, okay, the Ten Commandments, story of Jesus, Noah's Ark is in there too. I did not understand how the Bible worked, how the Old and New Testaments uh, complement each other, how the whole thing is one big story arc about God saving humanity. And so through small groups, these things just really started to uh, influence me and uh, start, start to show a little fruit too. So I started getting more involved with some different ministry things. I started leading a small group, doing some teaching, uh, taught, taught Sunday school uh, over the years, ministry involvement, very, uh, serving, just wherever I could sign up, whatever I could do. Then in 2013, uh, we took, the church took a group of uh, 50, 60 church members on a big charter bus down to Texas for the C3 conference. And we spent some time in Tulsa, Oklahoma at Rama Bible College. And during that trip, I was hearing God telling me, you know, you're doing great, but I want you to learn some more. I want you to, want you to do some more. And I thought, well, maybe I should go to Bible college. But uh, I don't know if that's going to work with my career. I just saw those things as too upsetting to what my career trajectory was in radio. But I was hearing God saying, oh, I want more. I want you to start learning more. So when you teach these groups and you do these things. In uh, 2014, I got to the point where I retired out of radio. It was becoming very stressful. The schedule was very rigid and uh, decided that uh, I need something less uh, difficult for my life. I just want to work hard and be a good Christian. Those are the main things. I knew that was important. So I'm just going to be a good, good believer, good churchgoer, and just work hard. That's all I want to do. I don't need anything else. So I uh, shifted into construction for a couple of years. And during that time, discovered Berean School of the Bible, which was a correspondence done online. I thought, well, okay, I can get some Bible training, keep working hard, being a good Christian, go at my own pace. 
And uh, my father died during this time after some chronic illness and some time in a nursing home. So I was chipping away at Berean School of the Bible. It's 27 courses of theology, Bible study, some practical ministry. Learn as you go. So I really had no priority in that, but I was doing it. And then in 2017, I was very fortunate to take a trip to uh, the Holy Land, to uh, Jerusalem and uh, Israel and Jordan. And uh, during that trip, I was hearing more again from, from the Lord that uh, I, want you, I want you to pick this up. I want you to keep going. And I really wrestled with that. And I thought, well, I, I can take those classes anytime. And part of me said, no, I'm just all emotional from visiting the Holy Land. That's not the Lord talking to me. I was, I was, I was pushing back uh, against the Lord saying, I need you to keep learning. I need you to keep going. So I started cracking away at the classes and eventually felt led enough to leave construction with no job and just focus on Bible school. And I thought, oh, there's a step of faith. Uh, I pushed and pulled so hard on that, but eventually I, I stepped out and I was just going to, going to Bible college. Part-time job at the, at the radio station opened up and I went back just to do some little part-time in the mornings, have the rest of my days uh, open. And I see that as God's provision uh, while I was doing this. And then I really started trying to discern uh, what I needed to do. What does this mean? All this learning and what, what's the plan? Go into ministry? And I thought, you know, I'm open to that. I assumed that that would mean uh, becoming a pastor here. And there were already three pastors here. So that really wasn't an option. But I thought, well, okay, I'll just keep, I'll just keep schooling. And I had a conversation uh, with Richard Ettinger about this. And he said, have you ever thought about chaplaincy? I thought, chaplain? Chaplaincy? Well, I guess I'd never thought about that. I said, you need to talk to Norm Thompson. Norm is a, a chaplain, pastor, missionary. So talk, talk to Norm. He'll help you discern this, figure this out. And I was talking to lots of godly men trying to make sense of this. And through Norm, uh, heard about something called clinical pastoral education. And this is a program uh, for training chaplains uh, to do, you know, to do ministry, to do patient care in hospital settings. And I was able to get into a program in Fargo that was run through Sanford Hospital. And after about uh, a month doing these, you know, you do, you actually visit patients and you're, you're learning at the same time. And it was not even two, three weeks. I was like, this is it. It was like how I felt the first time I came to church. Like, this is the ministry that I think you're calling me to, God, visiting with hospital patients. So that became my, uh, my, my track, sort of this career formation to, to succeed, to, you know, really, I, I think, uh, excel as a professional chaplain. You, you need a lot of education, including graduate ed education. So I decided to, to go back to school, and I've been doing that online since 2019, because uh, I want to be the best I can be uh, as, a, as a chaplain, and that schooling is part of it. And of course, I'm learning, and all of the good things that uh, come with that. I want to be ready for what's next. I'm an old Eagle Scout, and in the Boy Scouts of America, the motto is, be prepared. And that, you know, that became my life motto for years and years and years. And I'm that way uh, with everything. When my wife leaves the house, I'm like, do you have your phone? Do you have your wallet? Do you have your keys? If it's cold, well, I'm just running to this to, to do this. Do you have uh, your mittens and hat in case your car breaks down and you've got to stand on the side of the road waiting for a tow truck? That kind of persistent planning and uh, preparing. And I think we need to go through... Uh, our Christian walk like that too. Keep our stick on the ice, like Red Green says. Be alert, be ready for whatever's happening. So as I'm uh, moving through this process, I uh, had some conversations with Pastor Kevin and thought, you know, I, I, I think I'd like to be ordained. 
And uh, formally, formally recognize my commitment to uh, a lifetime of ministry, vocational ministry. I've, there's no doubt in my mind, I will do this until I, I, I drop dead from something or God tells me different. I have, I have no desire to do uh, any other kind of work. And I'm just so dedicated to this ministry. I'm dedicated to this church and this body that has, has gotten me to this point where, where I stand here today. And I want to be able to, to help continue that fruit that this church can bring, a supportive community. This, this, the world is getting nuts. You know this. This is, this is where we come to uh, encourage each other, to inspire each other, to affirm each other, to learn, to grow as believers. And then from there, we go out stronger than ever. We make a dent. We make a difference. We be those nice people to other people. Bring them here. So that's, that's my story. That's my, it's, it's unfinished. <laughs> but uh, just to give you an idea of you know, my story, how I got here, uh, we'll be meeting upstairs uh, after the service. If you have more questions about chaplaincy, and uh, I know I rambled on long here this morning, but you, you got the short version. When I talked with the elders, uh, wow, you know, time just flies when you're, when you're talking about yourself. But again, I am not the hero of this story. God's done some amazing things. I'm just happy to be part of it. That's cool. But to God the glory. So can I pray? And then we'll have a time of communion together. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for bringing me here. Thank you for these people. Lord, I pray your protection over this church, that your spirit just falls over everyone here. Lord, I came here hurting, and you healed me. There are others. There are others sitting here now healing, who, who need healing. They're hurting. There's broken people. I was at the end of my rope, Lord. There are people here at the end of their rope that need you. Be with them. Comfort them. Strengthen them. Strengthen them, Lord. Just sustain them. Sustain them. And Lord, protect this body. Protect this body from the wolves, from the enemy. And I have a word for you too, devil. You do not belong here. You are not welcome here. We rebuke your presence. We rebuke unclean spirits in this place. Your lies, your accusations, you are not welcome here. Devil, flee from anyone here that you're pestering. We know the story. We know the story. It's God breathed into scripture. It's etched in our hearts. We know the story. We know how it ends. You lose. To God be the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.